Good morning, good morning, good morning. We got the spring crowd this morning. You know, I did see that the U.S. Senate has now passed legislation that next year will be no more spring forward. Have the clocks in the same cycle. I'm happy about that. <laughs> One more spring forward to go. That was last week. I'm still recovering. <laughs> Mark chapter 1. And uh, I'm beginning a study from the book of St. Mark, St. Mark's Gospel. And we're going to build our way through Jesus' life, culminating with his death, his burial, and resurrection. And uh, I enjoy studying you know, books from the Bible. And Mark's Gospel is actually the only gospel that I haven't uh, taught all the way through. So I look forward to three verses of this gospel, Jesus' lives. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1. I want to read the first three verses of this gospel and then pray. Here's what Mark chapter 1 says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophecies, to quote Isaiah, he said, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Let's, let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for your goodness. I, I pray, Lord, that crooked places in our thinking, in our thought life, in, in our minds, I pray for them to become straight. We just thank you for a breath of fresh air, uh, the, the wind of the Spirit to blow. I, I pray for insight, revelation, and depth this morning in the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, I was thinking uh, a few years back, by the time I took my precious wife out to see a movie, and uh, you remember that baby went to the movie 12 Years a Slave? <laughs> this is the true story of Samuel Northrup. He, he was uh, a, a man who was put into slavery, and the whole movie was fairly intense, if you've ever seen it. I think it did win an Oscar, and there was some violent scenes, and evoked tremendous emotion. Elizabeth was quite uncomfortable, but she got really uncomfortable when a man in the back row got so fed up with the movie, he stood up and threw popcorn and a soda pop across her head, just right over the top. Could have decapitated her. Yeah. So uh, now we try to watch Turner classic movies. The black and the white, safe stuff. You know, I, I like historical stuff. My poor wife, she's just like, we got to watch stuff that doesn't stir me up like that. So I say that because what's so interesting about Mark's gospel is the linguistic style that he employs as he's working his way through this. It, uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Let's just read the first verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right off the bat, he's just moving into something. Look at verse number 9. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, some would say immediately, verse 10, immediately, Coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending like a dove. Uh, in verse 12, it says, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. So we got the beginning and then we've got immediately and immediately. And really what's happening here is that the key to understanding Mark is that it reads like a movie. It's like a movie script. I mean, the movie... The, the story here is ongoing. It, it's, he's going from one scene to the next scene to the next scene. So that's how Mark reads. It reads like a movie script. Uh, the key word is that word immediately. You know, that's used 43 times in this book. Immediately. And after that, immediately. And the thing about God that I've discovered is he specializes in sudden moments. Uh, I mean, you, it seems like you're waiting on him for a long time, and suddenly... 
the Lord shows up. Uh, that, that's what these disciples and the Jewish people have been waiting on. They've been waiting on their Messiah, and suddenly, as Malachi the prophet said, the Lord will come to his temple. Acts chapter 2, there was a sound from heaven and a rushing mighty wind, and suddenly they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It came in a sudden moment. In, in 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to be something sudden. That will be his coming. It, it's, there's suddenlies throughout the Scripture. Now, Mark is sort of like the Cliff's Notes of the Bible. It reads in this movie script fashion. I mean, I'm a guy who likes the Cliff Notes, okay? I'm not going to lie. And when I read the newspapers, I like to read the headlines because I get lost in detail sometimes. So I, I, I kind of appreciate the way it reads. And if you know anything about me, you know, I just tend to be a person who's sort of concise. I, I try to get the point across. It's just the way I'm wired, the way I tick. And, and so I relate with Mark's gospel because he's trying to emphasize a point and move on. In Mark's gospel, the theme we'll see next week is that Jesus was a servant. He was a slave. Different gospels have different themes, whether it's the king of God, whether it's there's the king of Israel, that's what he was to the Jewish people in, in Matthew, or he's the son of God, that's Luke's emphasis. Matthew's emphasis, or Mark's emphasis, is that he was a servant. When, when we think about Mark, when you study it, what you'll discover is that it was probably the first gospel written. It, it was the first one, uh, and that's thought that way because Mark contains the same accounts as Matthew and Luke. That's called the synoptic gospels. So they have similar stories, and it's thought that they base their stories off of Mark because he's got all the similar details in them. Mark was also probably written by Peter, but he uses uh, the name Mark here, and it was, it's thought by scholars that this Mark is John Mark uh, that traveled with Paul, and it's probably the young man who in Mark chapter 15 fled from the garden naked. I don't know why that detail is in Mark's gospel, but that's who people think is the author of the book. So in the next five weeks here, I'm going to be just walking us through Mark's gospel. And what we're going to be highlighting, you know, is, is uh, some of these truths about his life, uh, when, about Jesus' life. When, when Mark started off his story, he begins first of all with his team of people. He's immediately going to start picking up disciples. He's, this, this first part is really about the servants of the Lord, the people that he employed to do ministry with him. And man, your team really is everything. That's how Jesus started. He started with the team. I'm so grateful for the team of people we have serving around here. I'm grateful for your help, man. I, I just feel like God's going to increase our team and, and, and Man, it's a blessing when you can be used by God in tremendous ways. So I want to highlight for you what I would identify as some distinctives of disciples. And these were the ones that Jesus chose. He chose 12 men, and he employed them in his ministry. And there's some characteristics about them. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord, there's some things that you're going to need to learn and grow in, just like just like these disciples who walked with Jesus had to. And I remember just studying through this and seeing this, I felt like the Lord showed me something I had never seen before here in Mark's gospel. So I want to start in the 16th verse, Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. And it tells us that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee on a couple occasions, and it's really more like a big lake. He calls it a sea, but Jesus is out there, and he's looking for a few good men. And he came across Simon and Andrew, his brother, who was casting a net in the sea. 
it notes that they were simple fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. His famous words where he's extending an invitation to be his disciples in which he says, come and walk after me. And he said, I will make you to become fishers of men. Verse 18, what's it say? Immediately. There's our word. Immediately when they got that invitation to follow Jesus, it says they left their nets and they followed him. Now, as I was reading through this, what grabbed me was the action that they did as soon as that invitation to follow him was extended. You can see the first thing they did was they left their nets. The first distinctive that I can identify about being a true disciple of the Lord is that disciples are willing to leave behind what was familiar. They'll let go of the things that they're used to, things that they're comfortable with. And they left their nets in that moment. You know, here you've got Simon and Andrew, who were brothers. Uh, they're in you know, the fishing business. It's probably a family business. That's really what they had known all their lives, probably spent as fishermen. And when Jesus called them, they were young men. It's thought by scholars that you know, Jesus you know, called young men, probably late teens, early 20s, to follow him. And these guys in that moment felt something on the inside of them that said, I'm going to just leave what I have behind and walk after Jesus. When he calls you to follow him, it may require that you let go of things that once were so something you held on to, something you're familiar with. This is exactly what happened to a man named Saul who became the Apostle Paul. He had been trained you know, as a Pharisee. A Pharisee of the Pharisees is what he said about himself. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel and he was learning and studying, and he decided that he was going to just walk away from that when the Lord called him. In Philippians chapter 3, he said, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for the excellency and the sake that I might know the Lord. I mean, he just left that everything he had behind to filling after Jesus. Uh, you know, walking with Jesus, walking by faith, following after Jesus, what it might mean is that there's some things that you have to forsake. Jesus said his disciples are willing to forsake all and follow after him. It means there's some things you might have to forget about, things that were once familiar to you, things that you, know, you, you, you wrapped your identity in, you held on tightly, and, and yet I've discovered when God calls you, he'll often ask you to lay those things down and follow after him. Here you got Simon and Andrew, and they left behind a job. They left behind an occupation that they were familiar with, something that they were used to. Some of y'all think that sounds like a wonderful thing to let go of a job you didn't like in the first place. <laughs> I don't know if God's ever done that for you. Like, I remember one time I had a job uh, when I was, you know, just out of high school. It was a great job at a lumber place. And people were like, how did you get that job? I mean, it, it was a great thing, but I felt God had called me to do something else. And so when I left the job, some people scratched their heads. They thought that's a strange move, but I felt like that was where the Lord was calling me out of that place. And I was reminded of that because I just ran into one of my old bosses at the gas station a couple months ago. And it just hit me in the face, man, how I, I left something that was great to pursue what I felt God had for me. Sometimes God will do that in your life. Uh, Simon and Andrew, they didn't just leave, you know, their occupation. They left their lake. I mean, these guys left the home that they were, they used to live in, in the sea uh, of Galilee and fishing. It was everything that they knew. And, you know, what you're seeing in America right now is so many people moving. I mean, it's like a real epidemic. People are literally moving 
to different states across the country. And that's why house prices have you know, shot so high up. And, you know, I read something very interesting. This was actually on Color 8 News. They said that one of the hottest housing markets in Montana has become Butte because there's, it's the cheapest place to be. You can afford a home there. And I thought, if Butte becomes a hot housing market, you've really got a lot of people moving. You've got a problem in your hands, right? I mean, have you been to Butte? <laughs> but you know what? Some people feel like they're leaving behind things that were familiar and trying to follow the will of God. I believe that's taking place all across America. I've met so many people who are in search of freedom and, and seeking the Lord, and, and it's like God is moving people. It's really an incredible time. Yeah. Uh, the problem, of course, with leaving what's familiar is it's a lot harder than it sounds. Leaving behind things that are familiar isn't easy. I mean, think about Lot's wife. And she looked back at the place she was used to and familiar with where she had a reputation and people knew her. And you know the story of Lot's wife. She, she, she was vaporized in a moment because she wouldn't look back. She, she couldn't look forward. She wouldn't look back. I find this with people, man. I've seen this so much in churches, you know, where a, a person will feel God calling them or they'll get excited about it. But for whatever reason, it's like they'll look back to familiar things and never progress in their life spiritually. Sometimes the, the things that you're looking back to that you're so familiar with are actually that play out people do from personal growth and walking with God. I mean, it's so interesting to me to watch that play out in people's life. What I have discovered about God is when you let go of what was familiar to you, that's where the adventure begins. I mean, these disciples were headed for the greatest adventure of their life. And I got to tell you, since I've given my heart to the Lord after high school, I've had the greatest adventure that I've ever had in walking with Jesus. Because he's faithful, and he comes through, and there's nothing like following after him, and nothing like just, just being with him, and watch him manifest himself, and watch him show up in moments and ways where you didn't think he could. And it's amazing to just follow him, walk with him. Now, I remember I was uh, in the London Underground. This is just before COVID broke out, and the whole world shut down. And I'm sitting there on the London Underground, because I had one day in London, and I, even though I was tired coming back from that missions trip, I thought, I'm going to look around the city. And, and, and so I had been up. It was late. You know, I'm tired. I'm cold. Uh, I was sick. And I got lost. I don't get lost very much. But there I was, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and I on the London Underground, trying to figure out how I can get back to Heathrow Airport's hotel. And so I'm looking. I'm trying to. And, was, and finally, one woman showed up. And the, this thing I noticed about her, she was younger, and she was covered with satanic imagery. She had like a pentagram. You know, uh, she had my makeup, and, and I was like, well, I don't know how to get out of here, so I'm just going to approach her and ask her how to get out. And I remember I looked her right in the eyes, and uh, I asked her, how do you uh, get over to, you know, channel or, you know, whatever that is, number E, where I can get back over there? And she told me, and her eyes got big, and she took off out of there. <laughs> she was more scared of me than I was of her, because <laughs> the greater one is dwelling on the inside of me, right? <laughs> yeah. That was an adventure. Man, walking with Jesus is an adventure. He will take you to places and show you things that are amazing. But it requires that you let go of things that you used to hold on to so tightly. Now, let me give you a second distinctive characteristic. Verse number 19. It says that when Jesus went a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, two more brothers, who it says were in the boat, mending a whole different sermon. So we got these guys working on nets. 
Uh, Simon and Andrew were casting nets. There's a whole different sermon in that. Some people are net menders. Some people are net casters. But in verse 20, it says, immediately. There's our word. He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Here is a second distinctive of discipleship. A disciple will leave certain relationships behind. I mean, it's not just the familial things. Sometimes it's familial things. In this case, they're willing to leave their father behind. That's exactly what happened to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. It says that Abraham left his father. God said, I want you to leave your family, your father, and your mother, and go to a land that I will show you. And he was willing to do that. Now, this is something that's the truth I have discovered that may be hard for some people to handle. There are certain instances and moments in life when God might actually call you to something, and it means that you've got to let go of certain relationships that might have hindered you or held you back. It's not always the easiest thing for people to do. It's one of the, it's one of the more challenging things. But it's one of, the, one of the greatest ways for you to get to know God and grow in your personal walk with him. See, uh, they left behind their father Zebedee in the boat. They, I mean, they up and went with him. And I was thinking about my sweet wife, Elizabeth, who left Canada. She left her homeland. She left family behind and came down here and married me when we were having church in my grandma's living room, which is really brave. I mean, who would do something like that? <laughs> she left what she had known before. I mean, she left family members. And, you know, it, it hasn't always been the easiest thing for her. She misses them, but it, it, it's what God does sometimes. He might pull you out of, of a relational network's so that you can grow in other ways. Man, I, I think about a good friend of mine in Nepal whose name is Benud. Now, Benud, he was uh, you know, a well-to-do family in Nepal. He was actually the Nepalese jiu-jitsu champion. Don't mess with Benud, man. I mean, he's one tough dude. He was actually kidnapped by the Chinese for a few months because they wanted him to teach their soldiers how to do jiu-jitsu. He's got an amazing testimony. And when he decided to follow Jesus, his family disowned him. He got out of the family real estate business. He lost everything that he had. And now he's got one of the biggest churches in a rural area of Nepal where he's building a Bible school. We're helping him with that. I mean, it's really an amazing thing how he walked away from what he had. That's what happens in certain parts of the world. When you decide to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything you have. My cost to your whole family. I say salvation is a free gift, but it's very costly. And Benud, you know, it reminded me of what Jesus said. He said, unless you hate your father and your mother, you cannot be my disciple. I mean, those are words that are hard to hear or that might hold you back or hinder you from knowing God and following him. I've seen it play out with people. Now, so they left their father. And James and John also, if you read the text, they left the hired servants in the boat. There might be some, uh, some friends that you got to leave behind. There might be some relationships that need to get severed. And, you know, I had this happen in my life because when I had rededicated my life, man, I, I was like in high school and the hardest thing I ever had to go through was saying no to some friends that I had and, and just kind of following after Jesus. It's amazing when you're young, the pull that people have over you, the peer pressure to, to try to hang out with people. And yet, Letting go of those relationships really sprung me forward in my walk with God. Because I'll tell you something, you are who you hang out with. 
that the people, and here's another inconvenient, difficult thing to hear. People actually have more influence over you than God does. 1 Corinthians 15.33, evil company corrupts good habits. And so if you've got good habits, but you're hanging out with sometimes you know, relationships that might be hindering that, Scripture says it's hard for you to sustain that. And I've seen this play out with people. You know, I see it a lot of times in marriage. Esau had two wives who, it says, became a burden to his mother, Rachel. And how many times have I seen someone who's maybe in a relationship and it's like they have different values on different planes. They might be unequally yoked. There's a clash. And I'm telling you, it weighs on people. It's hard to sustain relationships where they're real close when, when, when they're on different pages. That's why you got to be careful who you marry. Uh, I've also seen how you get godly influences around you, and man, they will change and transform your life. Jesus was with these 12 men, and he got to know them, and he influenced them in a way that nobody else could. And I am so grateful for godly wives, and I'm grateful for mentors and godly relationships that really help me grow, help me make decisions. I'm, I'm trying to walk with the wise because I want good habits, good principles. I want to learn those things. Who you hang out with is so important. So a disciple is someone who's willing to let go of really you know, close relationships that might hinder you in order to fulfill the will of God. These are difficult sayings from Jesus, but they left behind who they had in the boat, their dad. Let me give you number three. I'm at chapter two here. I'm moving forward in the story. Verse 13, I'm, I'm covering... Some scripture today as we go through the gospel here of Mark. Uh, it says in verse 13, I'm in Mark 2, 13. He went out again by the sea, and he's, he's fishing for men, not for fish. He's still along the sea here. It says the multitude came to him, and you'll notice that Jesus, as his custom was, is just teaching them. And it says he passed by, and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he extended that invitation to him. Follow me. It says he rose and followed him. And it happened, it says, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For it says there were many, and they followed him. And verse 16 says, when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors and sinners. Somebody say tax collectors and sinners. Here's what this tells me. A disciple will leave behind sinful relationships. They'll leave behind not just you know, familial things and familiar things. They might actually have to change what they're doing, the way they're living. Tax collectors in Bible days were associated you know, with sinners. That's what the scripture puts them together. Tax collectors and sinners. And you know, in Roman times, uh, tax collectors were not well thought of because the Romans were so heavy-handed with their taxes. They had uh, terrible reputations. I remember one time when we were in Israel, I went with a man whose name was Matthew. That's who Levi was. He was Matthew. And this man kept saying, hi, I'm Matthew, and I'm a tax collector. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was like people really stayed away from tax collectors. You see that in Zacchaeus' life. Nobody wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus. He was that short man up in a tree, and when Jesus passed by and said, I want to go to your house, it shocked everybody. And Matthew, or and Zacchaeus actually may have been stirred because he said, uh, if I've taken anything from anyone, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Perhaps he had been 
you know, heavy-handed in his approach and taking money. Might have been some sin that was involved there. Uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to leave behind some activities that you may have been doing. And this is what Jesus said in the next verse. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Following Jesus means I'm going one direction. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do a 180 degree turn and I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to get a new thing in my mind. That is what repentance is. Matthew was willing to leave behind a lifestyle. It's like when uh, Jesus met the, the woman who was about to be stoned and caught in adultery. I mean, he didn't condemn her, but he said, go and sin no more. He said, this lifestyle that you're doing is not beneficial for you. And I do think in America, we probably don't do a good enough job highlighting issues of sin that people deal with. Because what what we try to do is keep people all nice and cozy and comfortable in their church chairs. And as a result, we don't really confront and highlight issues that may be hindering people and holding them back. It's like people are afraid to deal with lifestyle decisions. But I have found out that when you follow Jesus... There will be some transformations within you in your lifestyle. Man, I look at my friend Bill Turnquist over here. You think you might have stories from back in the day when you were rebelling? Bill's stories can beat your stories. (laughs) I'm proud of Bill, man. The Lord has changed him, transformed. It's amazing to see what God does that way. I know how that happens because it happened to me. My lifestyle was transformed. He left behind, Matthew did, a lifestyle. He also left behind some worldly associations. I mean, you read about him, he's having a party, he's hosting people in his home, but you find him after that following after Jesus. He's going after Jesus. Because the scripture says, you cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. Friendship with the world, James says, is enmity with God. And it tells us that the world is passing away. And that just means that there's some activities I have to let go of. I can't be down at the crystal lounge getting crystallized. Come on, somebody. I mean, you know... (laughs) There's some places you can't go, things you ought not be doing, lifestyles, associations, situations that you're going to have to relieve yourself from. That's what it means to follow Jesus. What I love about Jesus, he's called the friend of sinners. He's sitting up in their home, and everyone is intrigued. They're shocked that this rabbi is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners because they lived in a society where everybody was completely, you know, religious, and they, and they emphasized it, and they shunned people who didn't live God. They looked down at them, and when Jesus showed up, it was a breath of fresh air because he extended grace to people who need it. And I'm telling you, grace is greater than the law. And he, Jesus elevated the standard of righteousness when he brought in the grace of God. You know, grace is really the thing that allows you to walk free from sin. I read this in the book of Titus a few weeks ago. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's Titus 2.11. And what that verse tells me is when I'm struggling with sin, when I feel tempted, when when I've got things that are hindering me, when I've got mindsets, when when I see something on my phone that might trigger me, and, and I feel like I don't know what to do and I'm tempted to sin, I can ask for God's grace. And he's right there to help get through situations. Man, that's what Jesus represented. He he he's a friend to people in need. You know what the scripture also says about Jesus is that while he was a friend of sinners, he was also separate from sinners. That's Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. 
which really just means he's not influenced by sin. And that's what I want to be like. I, I want to be the kind of guy who, when I show up in an environment, I can relate with people. I can love on people. I don't have to be condemning. I can just express love. But I hope that they feel there's something different about me. I hope they sense righteousness. I hope they can feel, you know, that, that, that there's something different in my life. And I want to reflect God's love in that way. So, you know, when you hang out with people and you don't know where they're at, they don't know where you're at, and they might talk dirty, they might say things that are, you know, crap. I don't have to engage in that. There's some behavior things I don't have to do. I, I can just talk to people, love on people, and not be influenced by sin. I want to influence them with righteousness. That's what Jesus did. That's what made him amazing. And when he calls you to follow after him, what he's calling you to do is leave behind certain lifestyle decisions and activities that may have been hindering you. That's deliverance, and that's being a disciple. Now, distinctive number four is in chapter three. So you notice the first three chapters, he, he's pretty much recruiting his team, and it culminates here in the selection of the 12 disciples. And I'm going to just start in verse 13. It says that he went up on the mountain, and he called those to himself that he wanted. He went up and he prayed. He was praying, God, who, do you, who, who needs to be in, in my team? You know, he's praying for you, and he's invited that same offer of discipleship to you and I. And it says the disciples came to him. Look at verse 14. It says that he appointed 12, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. Hey, you want to know what? You can preach. You can pray for the sick. You can cast out devils. I mean, it's the same thing. He, all authority has been given to him. He's given it to his disciples. He said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations. So that should be something that we as believers understand. You can have the same impact in the world the disciples did. Now, verse 16, Simon. Here's his disciples, whom he gave the name Peter. Remember, we read about him in chapter 1. And we got James and John who were the brothers that we talked about, who left their father Zebedee, and he gave them the name uh, Boanerges, which is Sons of Thunder. In other words, these guys may have been loud, obnoxious people. Uh, I have found out with God that he didn't matter if you're loud or obnoxious, what he wants is sincerity, and so he's just looking for hearts that are open and willing. He's got Andrew, who's also Peter's brother, in verse 18. He's got Philip, who became an evangelist, and, and Bartholomew, Matthew, we just read about him in chapter 2, Levi. And then we got Doubting Thomas, you know the story of Thomas. He was like the lion on, uh, what were we just watching last night? What the kids watch? The lion had no heart. Who, or, no, the lion was scared. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's what, uh, Doubting Thomas. He, he didn't know what he thought. <laughs> uh, we got James, the son of Alphaeus. There's the second James. Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and the infamous man, whose name was Judas Iscariot, who it says also betrayed him. So, you know, next time you've got a relationship that goes south that may have been close to you, just remember Jesus got one of 12 wrong, and if he got one of 12 wrong, it happens to everybody as well. It says that uh, the last sentence right here, this is what grabbed me. He called these guys, and they went into a house. That just jumped off the page to me when I read They went into a house. Here's a fourth distinctive of disciples. They are willing to enter 
into the house with Jesus. In other words, they're willing to enter into close fellowship with him. And that, that's what Jesus is calling you and I to do. He's calling us into a close relationship with him. And through the Holy Spirit, you and I can have a deep, meaningful, intimate relationship. You can hear his heartbeat. You can get familiar with his voice. I mean, you, you can really get to know who he is. You can sense his presence in your car, on the way to work, in your office, at the gym while you're working out. I mean, you can just feel him if you're willing to enter into fellowship. Scripture says this is the fellowship that we have with God and with his son, Jesus Christ. And it says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with him. What he's doing is inviting us into his home, into his sphere, into, in, into this place where we can have a meaningful relationship with him. Now, the thing about entering into a home is you got to enter in, first of all, with joy and celebration. That's what the psalmist said, Psalms 100. Come into his gates with singing, his courts with praise. So when we come into the house of God, I like it to be a little lively. I like to feel a little joy, a little celebration. I call it bounce. I just love to worship God because you know what? It releases a spirit of celebration and joy. And I want that same thing to be in my home. I want joy and celebration. I want kids to be noisy, jump off the couches. And, you know, we, we want to have a place where we celebrate one another. There's positivity. There's joy in the house of the Lord. And if you are a disciple and you've been walking with Jesus, I'm telling you, you'll have joy everywhere to go. It's infectious. It's because you've been with Jesus. That's what's in the house. But, you know, walking with Jesus... Uh, there's also some house rules. Like in our house, we have rules. Like the kids need to make the bed, and we got to you know, clean up our toys, and we do the dishes, and we vacuum the floor. And, and in the house of the Lord, in the kingdom of God, the rules are we got to forgive one another. We got to love people. Actually, I think that might be what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, when he said, enter by the narrow gate. He said there's two gates. One is broad and it leads to destruction, and many people follow that. And then there's a narrow gate, which is narrow and hard to get through, and not many get there. I think a lot of people live with bitterness, resentment, offenses, and sometimes those things actually can stop you from being the disciple, the person you need to be. The house rules, man. Forgive people. Love one another. Turn your other cheek. Pray for people who persecute you. Those are not easy things to do. That is a way that you can walk with the Lord. That's what happens in the house. Now, in my house... There's also some children there. I don't know about your house, but, man, we've got children. Children are uh, interesting creatures. We were awakened up on Thursday at uh, 1 in the morning by a screaming child who had an earache. And when we put a Band-Aid on her foot, she fell asleep. I don't know how that works out. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm taking my son to school, and he came out late. I'm in the Suburban, and I pull forward three feet. And you would have thought he lost his mind. He thought I was leaving him behind. You know, I mean, screaming, Dad, don't leave me. It's a joke, bud. Come on. <laughs> but here's what I've learned about children. They receive everything you have to say. That's what Jesus said. If you want to enter the kingdom, you have to receive the kingdom as a child. And this is what I've learned with children. They take it at face value. So if Jesus is saying something from the Bible and you just take it, that's how you enter the kingdom. You don't got to question it, think about it, analyze it, figure out if he's lying. Just accept what he has to say. If he said he'll take care of you and he'll be with you and he'll walk with you even to the end of the age, that is what he meant. That's what it's like being in the kingdom. 
a disciple is someone who's just willing to say, Lord, I will, I will take what you have to say. I'm going to walk with you like a child and receive it. Hey, you know what else is in the house? There's a little rest in that house, a little R&R, relaxation. And my favorite memories are like, you know, I like to have church, go home, and, and then I like to sit down and watch a little football on the Lazy Boy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's my house. I like to rest. You know, Jesus said, he said that uh, when you enter by the sheepfold, you will come into the kingdom and find pasture for your soul. And there's something about resting in the presence of God that it's the only way to reinvigorate you, energize you, and the peace of God. You might be having a stressed out day. You might be frustrated with life. You might have people that are annoying you, tripped out on social media looking at stuff you shouldn't look at, listening to bad reports on the news, getting upset about the government. And you know what you can find is peace in your home because Jesus is there. Enter in and find pasture for your soul. And the thing about that house, I live there. I'm there every day. And I'm telling you, every day you have an invitation to be in his home, to be in his presence, to have fellowship with him. And, and that's why I love, you know, daily Bible reading plans. I love to spend time with him every day. You know, I've discovered time with Jesus is better than time at the movies. Because at the movies, you might have people throwing popcorn at you, freaking you out. <laughs> Man, I'm grateful for his peace in my life. You know, I, I, I just sense uh, that there's some servants in the house this morning. And I want to just talk to you about maybe some distinctives that should be evident in your life. Because I hear the Lord saying, follow me. Follow after me. He might be calling you this morning. And maybe he's calling you to leave behind some things that are familiar. Some things that you're used to, some things that you've been holding on to. And I don't know what those might be. They might be habits. They might be, you know, things that you feel like you can control. I know he's working that out in my life. Familiar things. But walking with him might require you let go, forsake all, and follow after him. I don't know what, what familiar things you hold on to. Places in life. Could be people. As we said, sometimes you got to let go of people. And I mean... Sometimes people will leave and you haven't even recognized it yet that God might actually be in it. I've seen this play out so many times. Sometimes people go and, and it, it's like, it's okay. I'm following after the Lord. There might be other times when you have to make active decisions to have boundaries in place where you, I'm not going to get influenced by that. I, I'm going to live for God. And I've had that happen to me. I've had situations where I've had to gently just step back from so I could pursue the will of God for my life. Probably that's something everyone can relate with. Or it could be that you had to leave behind some sinful behavior. I mean, you know, it's an amazing thing about sin. A little sin, a little fox that might spoil the vine, as Scripture says, can grow into something enormous if you leave it unchecked. Sin has this amazing capacity to fester in your life. And when it festers, it becomes toxic and poisonous so that it gets out of control. And I'm telling you, if you really have had an encounter with Jesus, if you've really followed him and you really know him, he can set you free from sin, from every bondage. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. I've experienced it. I've seen it. I know what it is to be with him. 
probably everybody could feel like God is calling them into a deeper walk with him, into the house, a closer place of fellowship. Does anyone feel that way? Like, Lord, you're calling me closer in this season right now. I, I mean, I just hear his whisper. He, he's, he's calling you, come and dine with me. Come into my home. I, I want to be with you. And if I could say, I hear the Spirit you know, saying, speaking to the churches, I bet you you'd hear him whispering, come and be with me. Stop being distracted by the world. Get off of your phone. Quit getting caught up and, and come and be with me. Come and dine with me. And there's something about being with him. This is just distinctives of disciples. And I, I just want to pray that over you. I want to pray for you to be able to follow after him and forsake it all. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for people who are willing to follow after you. Mm, we can hear the spirit of the Lord saying, follow me. Come after me. Leave what you're doing. Lord, we just say, yes, Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to know you. And we're willing to let go of everything and follow after you. I say that from my own heart, Lord. I'm willing to let go of little things, accolades and positions, and ideas I once had. I'm willing to lay, let go of everything and follow after you. And I pray that over the people of God today. I pray, Lord, for a heart and a mind that would truly follow you in every way, every day, every capacity that we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There's a great verse in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens his door, he said, I will come and I'll have fellowship with him and dine with him. That's the invitation that Jesus has. Probably, I, I wish I had put the picture up, but there's that famous picture of Jesus knocking at a door. And in the original picture, the door doesn't have a handle. And it's because you're going to have to open the door of your heart to let him in. It has to be something that you pull the trigger on. It has to be a heart that's willing. And maybe this morning there's someone here and your heart hasn't been opened and you feel him inviting you and it's time to follow after him. It's time to open up that door. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to challenge you. Open up that door. You put a hand in there and say, Pastor, pray with me. I want to follow after you. I want to open up my heart to you. I want to live free from sin. I thank you for your redeeming power in my life. I want to know you and walk with you. Amen, amen. All right, man. Will you stand up with me today? Man, I'm, I'm so glad you came out to church this morning. We value you. We bless you. And we want to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, these altars are open. And I just want to encourage you as Easter's get close, man, invite someone out to church. You are a witness. You are an example. You are his disciples who can preach, prophesy, pray for the sick. You want to use every ounce of influence you have as a disciple to point people in the direction of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we love you all very much. We'll catch you all next week. It's good to see you in the house today. If you want prayer, these altars are open. Amen?